0: Hi and welcome back to another episode of the AI Spy. Uh, Today we are talking about identity theft. Every year, countless Americans fall victim to identity theft and the impact of identity theft is uh, life-altering in many cases. As per research conducted by the ID theft research center, victims spend countless hours trying to remediate the, the challenges, the issues, suffer further financial distress. They have, as a result of identity theft, in many cases, they lose trust in family and friends. They have strained family relationships and a percentage of the victims also consider suicide. So ID theft is is very serious and has big far-reaching impacts into someone's lives. Our guest today is an expert in identity theft. She's also the author of one of my favorite books, The Less People Know About Us. And I would love love to welcome Dr. Axton Betts-Hamilton. Axton, thank you for joining our show today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So uh, Akshan, just to uh, start with, um, how about a brief introduction? Can you introduce uh, yourself to our audience?
1: Sure. Um, I'm an associate professor in the Consumer Affairs Program here at South Dakota State University, and a lot of folks don't know what Consumer Affairs means. What that essentially means is I teach financial counseling and planning courses and conduct research in the area of financial abuse within families, and that includes identity theft.
0: And uh, I will go into the book, but you just mentioned something that is so interesting. So, so the f- the financial abuse within the families that is a common trait, and I think many in many cases identity theft is the, the perpetrator is sometimes either a member of your family or someone who's close to the close to the family. Uh, is that uh, is that accurate? Uh,
1: it is. Uh, so it's really difficult to get accurate prevalence statistics of cases of identity theft that have been perpetrated by family members, because it is underreported. Um, but the estimates that are out there, it's roughly one third of all identity theft cases are perpetrated by a family
0: member. Well, so um, today's the first time um, I'm meeting you uh, virtually and I'm talking to you, but I feel like I know you so well. Uh, from your book, the way you the way you've described it, your life growing up um, um, in a small town, uh, even that this you go into detail depth of describing how your living room was, how your grandfather would uh, uh, be when you come back from school, uh, the backyard. So it's it's in such vivid de- detail that I feel like I, I know you um, uh, very well. But at the heart of it, there is uh, identity theft and uh, and the struggles that you went through. So. Uh, Describe to me, tell me for our audience, what drove you to write and tell your story? Because, like you said, many victims don't share their stories. Uh, ID theft, as such, is uh, underreported. But you decided to go out and actually write a book about it and in vivid detail. Uh, so what, what was the driver for you to write that book? Well, so
1: writing the book started really is more of a project just for myself um, because when I discovered who was responsible for the identity theft I was writing down everything that was happening as it was happening because you know once you get into part three of my book things happen pretty darn quickly and the story escalates pretty quickly so I was writing all of that in real time and trying to think back to how life was before and, and trying to capture those memories relative to what was going on currently so i didn't lose them because i could feel that my worldview was changing as a result of finding out who was responsible for the identity theft and my my goal at that time was i want to write a book slowly you know i was i was a tenure track professor at a different university at that time and i thought Mm. after i obtained tenure i'll self-publishers. And I even had a self-publisher picked out because I'm thinking, nobody's really interested in a story about identity theft. This is more for me. This is part of my healing. And then I was a guest on a different podcast, Criminal, where I said like seven years ago that I had started writing a book about this whole experience. And that line, that one line, which refers to the word document i had with all of these scenes and comparing Mm -hmm. it to before it was not organized at all that was what i was referring to with that one line that is actually what gave life to the book Uh, i learned from the amount of listeners who reached out to me from that podcast that yes people do want to hear about identity theft and there are other people out there that have similar experiences and They want this information and they want to know that they're not alone so that was really the the evolution of the book from oh this is a project for me and it's not going to have a large reach to you know what it became as we know it today
0: excellent and uh what what was the the writing process like you said it it was just episodes that you you were collecting it as a as a personal memory of, of sorts, you were writing it down uh, as you were discovering, and I, I think towards the end of the book, you also describe uh, once you find who the the perpetrator was, you start a, a, a pseudo investigation where you go through details, and you were you were finding details for yourself. So this was uh, a way of um, journaling and cataloging that information for yourself. But mm-hmm. when you read the book, it doesn't come across like that. It comes across as a as a, as a mystery crime thriller. So. What was the writing process like to get everything organized?
1: Yeah, so that's a really great question. So I'm an academic. You know, I naturally write like an academic and write, you know, research articles that most people don't find all that interesting and never read. So having to shift my writing towards a writing style that is appealing to mass audiences was a challenge. (laughs) So I... Actually, as a result of the criminal podcast, um, and a literary agent reached out to me, and I followed up with her, and uh, we secured, uh, or rather, she secured, uh, the book contract with Grand Central Publishing, and my editor highly encouraged me to work with a ghostwriter to help me structure the book because as part of securing a book contract we had to put together a book proposal, and that book proposal is a few chapters, um, an outline of the characters, a description of the characters, but what my editor was noticing was that there were areas and time periods of my life where I could remember, you know, a lot of details and then other areas where it's like I would just kind of gloss over things, which it's pretty natural when you're writing a memoir there are things that especially yeah. when you've gone through a trauma there are things that stand out you know in vivid detail in your mind and then there are other things like eh, whatever that's not important I don't I don't remember exactly what happened here's kind of the highlights so I worked with a ghostwriter to help me kind of dig out those memories she asked me a lot of right. questions like hey right. you need to write this right. down oh I do you know that sort of thing <laughs> and then just to help me structure the book in terms of pacing. Now we had some back and forth on that um, with you know with my ghostwriter and with my editor and as some people have noted with the book it, you know some people don't like the pacing because part 3 is as I've mentioned already things happen very quickly so it's it's kind of a slow lead up and then like everything just explodes in part 3. Yeah. Well, I pushed to leave it that way because that's how life was. Yes. These cases are not, it's it's not like, you know, you watch an episode of Law & Order or some other crime show and there's this perfect sequence of how things evolve. In real life, when you experience this, it's oftentimes a very slow and painful process. And there may be things that happen very quickly. There may be a long lull. And then there may be things that happen quickly again later. But I wanted... To keep the pacing true to how life really evolved for me over a 20-year period
0: yeah and uh yeah, yeah i could completely relate to that and i think a lot of the times when uh, fraud transpires it's it's it doesn't transpire at a, at a pace that is uh we are comfortable with it it does at what what it does like say it's that's just life and events just um uh in a very rapid uh, succession, you'll see. And it's it's like they snowball, the, these things uh, start to snowball. And I think once uh, your identity has been compromised, there are repeated incidents. It's not going to be just one incident, it's going to be a series of incidents. So uh, that completely made sense. I, I enjoyed reading it that way. Uh, moving on from the book, and uh, you described that uh, while you were going through this, that there wasn't any uh, identity theft, theft help desk at that time. And I think this was developing only in 1988. I think that it was established as a crime. Identity theft was became a federal crime. So, what was that process like? And I, and you have made this your life's work, uh, fighting identity theft, elder abuse, uh, your life's work. So, um, was this uh, everything that happened to you that led you to choose your PhD? What you decided to uh, do your, your stuff? Uh, yeah. So.
1: Yeah. So, experiencing this. So, you know as I talk about in the book, identity theft was such a force in my life. You know, It was always there. It was always, you know, in the shadows and it really shaped my life. The individuals I interacted with, the individuals I didn't interact with. And, you know, that shaped my interests in trying to find who was responsible. Like that, that, that was a goal of mine from the time yep. that I was 11 years old. And, to do that, I realized that I needed to learn as much as I could about it. So I focused my master's research on how people perceived identity theft and how they were protecting themselves from identity theft. Granted, this was 20 years ago, so that, that was pretty innovative stuff for the time in the identity theft space, and then um, I did my doctoral dissertation on the experiences of identity theft victims who were victimized as children but didn't learn about it until they were adults so people like myself and now i have shifted focus more towards uh financial abuse within families so looking at family member perpetrators of identity theft and also looking um, at Uh, cases of financial exploitation of older adults by family members because financial abuse within families actually can like cross the entire lifespan children to older adults so um you know that's my focus um and again it was driven by this desire to find the person responsible and ultimately it did that Um, Unfortunately, it it, it took twenty years to
0: do. Without giving away too much, without giving away any spoilers, I I really hope my listeners will pick up the book and read it. So I don't want to spoil uh, anything for them. Uh, Wrapping up the thing on the book, if you had, if I as a reader or anybody had to take one thing away from the book, one takeaway from the book, what would what would you say that would be?
1: That identity theft perpetrated by family members okay so i'm kind of spoiling it a little bit but identity theft perpetrated by family members is something that is incredibly common and it's more than just oh this family member took my social security number and you know obtained a credit card or a loan there's more that goes on in these families and there could be physical abuse, there could be emotional abuse, there could be sexual abuse, there could, you know, there could be all sorts of other types of abuse that are going on within the family system. And it could be happening to one victim. It could be happening to multiple victims. So, you know, identity theft, if it's happening and it's perpetrated by a family member, oftentimes there's some there there are other things going on too. And I want people to read the book who are victims to know through my experience that you're not alone.
0: Great. So um, we we spoke about, and you brought it up, that uh, when you were doing your research, your doctoral dissertation 20 years ago, um, finding the causes, this was very innovative talking about identity theft. And over the 20 years, you've seen ID ID theft develop. So how have things changed and maybe what has stayed the same?
1: So actually, I have two reference points now because uh, my house was broken into this summer and my social security card, among other things, was stolen. So I had to do things like freeze my credit reports and... Uh, contact the Internal Revenue Service, and uh, now they are sending me a PIN every year to file my taxes. I had to freeze my identity with eVerify verify as, as a way to hopefully stop any attempts at employment identity theft. And, you know, going and, oh, changing my bank account numbers, getting new bank cards, like changing my passwords, everything, you know, getting identity theft, uh, protection software uh, subscribing to an identity theft uh, monitoring service. I had to do all of that. And the day after the burglary, that's what I did. I spent all day doing these things, not cleaning up the mess from the burglary, like not moving. Yep. Cause I actually moved as a result of this, but I, um, and given my past experience I thought this this whole process was going to be painful, people aren't going to believe me, They're, You know, the process of getting a new social security card is going to be difficult, dealing with the IRS is going to be difficult. It wasn't. So I went in person to a social security card, or social security office uh, here in South Dakota, explained what had happened, and they gave me a form and filled out the information. In the new card came a couple of weeks later, but there wasn't this like, oh, we don't believe you kind of thing. Like oh, right. it, in with, you know, freezing my credit reports, which was not a thing 20 years ago that, that did not exist. That hasn't uh, existed for very long. You know, that wasn't an option back then. That wasn't an option when I was 19 and I learned I was a victim of identity theft. Um, You know, working with the banks and getting, you know, new account numbers and new bank cards, easy peasy. You walk in, you say that, you know, you've, you've had your identity compromised as for, you know, for whatever reason. Sure. You know, here's a new bank account number. Here's a new debit card. Here's a new credit card. No big deal. I mean, it was, it was a very easy, very friendly process. Whereas before 20 years ago, people would eye you with suspicion. Like, what do you mean identity theft? What, what, what is that? You know, they, they, People didn't understand yeah. what it was and because it is much more understood now by the average person that, oh, this could happen and this does happen, that I think people are more sensitive to that, especially people in, who work in financial institutions, people who work for the Social Security Administration, people who work for the IRS. There are procedures in place. They understand what identity theft is and so there's there aren't the barriers there aren't the you know the people eyeing you with suspicion now when, when you ask for right. help so we've come a long way I think in 20 years and thankfully you know I you know and knock on wood there's been no attempt to, to use my identity I say that I'll, somebody will probably try it tonight um but it's just it again it only took a day It only took a day, and I thought I would be battling this for weeks or months, and I haven't. Now, granted, I'm being vigilant, and I'm kind of looking over my shoulder, you know, because I keep thinking something's (laughs) going to happen, but nothing has happened. And, again, it was a process that took a day to secure everything.
0: Yeah. So uh – Although it's it's different, you are uh, you work in identity space. Uh, you work uh, you you've made it your life's work. I work in fraud prevention. So for people like you and me, like what you just said, like cleaning up the mess in the house was secondary, uh, and everything else was secondary. First, the priority was to do these things. So not a lot of people actually would know all of the steps that to do act before uh, before the call today. I was I was on the FTC website. I was actually reading through guidance if someone's identity is compromised what are the steps they should do and I was reading through that paper and it's it's a lot of what you mentioned actually that gave me a headache I'm like oh my god if this happens to me I have to do all these things this is going to take forever and uh, so uh, many times it's the lack of education for pe- uh, the, the, the average person and uh, they, they might not know they might not think it's as serious as, as it as it could be so, so that's the I think the difference.
1: I would agree with that, and also, you know, like taking my most recent story with the burglary. You know, when when someone breaks into your house and you come home and discover that, you're you're in shock. Like you, you're like, wait a minute, someone just broke into my house. You don't think identity theft? That's that's not the you know the natural yes. inclination when you see that your laptop's stolen. When you see that, you know, different items in your house have been, you know, broken into and things have been tossed about. Yeah that's not where people's mind naturally goes if you're not in the fraud space for for your career. So that's definitely something people need to be aware of. You know, if your laptop's stolen, people have a lot of information on their laptops. That's just how people naturally are. They save things on, Mm -hmm. you know, on their laptops. They have password managers. Um, And, you know, thieves, depending on their motivation, they may want that and, you know, use that information to open up credit cards and other loans in your name, maybe obtain employment, um, using your yep. identity. So there are a lot of things that people can do with our personal information. And, you know, again, it only takes a few seconds to grab it, you know, and, in, in, you know, my circumstance. So yeah, it, when you've had your house broken into or really, you know, any, a theft of, cell phone any electronic device that has personal data on it you are at risk for identity theft and so going through those steps yeah. i mean it takes some time but going through those steps first before doing anything else i think is really critical
0: yeah i our entire lives are on our phones and our laptops nowadays so yeah so that actually is a great segue to my to my last question uh is what what uh, advice what tips can we give to to the average person to to protect their identity um, uh, to begin with to be vigilant and proactive and protect their identity but if the identity has been compromised I think we discussed some of the steps but uh, how to be proactive and what are the steps that they can take so to protect their identity yeah
1: one thing that people can do for free that you don't have to be an identity theft victim to do this, You can freeze your credit reports with each of the three credit reporting agencies. So Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. A lot of people think, oh, if I do that, it's it's going to hurt my credit score, and it, it doesn't. So what a freeze does is it freezes your credit so no one can apply for credit using your identity, including yourself. So if you want to go and apply for a new car loan, new credit card, whatever the case may be, You have to call the credit reporting agencies and temporarily lift the freeze and then once you're done applying for credit then you put the freeze back on what that does is it stops new accounts from being opened in your name it doesn't do anything to stop existing account takeover but what it can do in a case of identity theft is it can minimize the damage so in my case somebody stole my social security card they could have used that to Open credit cards in my name, but because I froze my credit, they couldn't do that. So putting yep. that freeze out there, it minimizes the potential damage an identity thief can do. Um, so with you know electronics, um, if you receive an email with a, with a link uh, for say some financial institution, maybe you think it's your financial institution. Um, verify don't click on the link call to verify that the email is actually legitimate because there are a lot of scammers out there who are very good at at creating very official looking emails that mimic the the particular institution and they want you to click on the link to share your personal information and then you know they they use that for their own gain um you know another thing with electronics and social media I see so many people on facebook putting their actual birth date on their facebook profile don't do that because that is a key piece of information that identity thieves can use in applying for credit also with social media those little quizzes that people post about like what is your favorite color? What was the, what was the right. make and model of your first car? Like all the, what's your favorite food? Yeah. Those are all questions that are used to verify your identity. So don't do those Facebook quizzes. So there's just some real easy steps that you can do. You know, it doesn't take any time at all really to secure your identity or I, I can't say secure your identity, but minimize the risk of, minimize I- the risk. of identity theft.
0: Yep. Uh, Actually, thank you. Uh, Thank you for taking uh, time out today. Um, And uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed and I'm sure our listeners are going to find find this uh, discussion useful. There's several tips, both for victims and how we can proactively protect our identity. But to all the listeners, I I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. Please go ch- uh, uh, check out the book "The Less People Know About Us." It's it's a great uh, it's a great read, and uh, we will share some links in the podcast notes to resources that you can use to protect uh, to learn more about identity theft and protect yourself. Until the next episode, I'm signing off. Uh, I'm your host Anubhag, and we'll be back again with another A Lister uh, with more topics around technology and fraud prevention. Thank you.